0: Today's reading is John eleven one through sixteen Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. so the sisters sent to him, saying, "Lord, he whom you love is ill, but when Jesus heard it, he said And you are going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, He will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: So we're starting a new series um, this morning. uh, It's called This is My Story. And I really like the idea of this series because, well, I'm going to tell you why. And here's the idea. So um, we're actually going to be looking, we, those of us who are going to be preaching, are looking at a different story or passage in Scripture um, with the idea of kind of pulling it through um, our own story. So why is the story important to me or to us, Um, and how might it still be important to all of us as a church? And so that's the idea of the This Is My Story series. And we're going to get into the story of Lazarus later, but I just want to say a few things about Scripture and about why um, I'm excited for the series, because I think a lot of times, personally, I can hold Scripture at a distance. It's really easy to say, okay, that happened then, um, or I don't really understand it. And you don't really think about how might this passage actually mean something to us as a church, to me, today. And I think Scripture has this wonderful ability to speak to us because I believe it's God's Word and that that Word is living and active and so therefore can still inform my story and I think so sometimes for me, what keeps me from actually engaging the story in the way that God might have me to is because I lose a sense of, or I've lost a sense of wonder. The wonder is this idea of, of, that it makes something familiar new. That's when I think about wonder, that's what I think about. Is that something that you come to all the time and it seems really familiar can actually be made new. I'm always reminded, because I have like a three and a half year old and a one and a half year old, and we're constantly, I, my one-and-a-half-year-old now can start talking, he's constantly pointing, saying, wow, wow. And I just look, I'm like, yeah, it's a trash truck. That's great. Um, uh, or, yeah, that's, that's just food. <laughs> just eat it and stop throwing it on the floor. Um, and, and so there's this idea of like, OK, you know, things need to be, the familiar needs to be made new. I went to a Dodger game yesterday with my son Asher, and the whole time he was just so stoked, because we got to ride a bus there. And, and it was really, but I'm like constantly frustrated because I'm like, it's so hot and uncomfortable. He's like, no, I don't have to wear a seatbelt. I don't have to be in a chair. There's this bus. We get to walk into the stadium and I'm like, you know, you just crowds. I'm like, I like crowds. And, but he's just like, this is incredible. And it just reminded me this morning of how might we read scripture differently or how might it inform our lives differently if we actually came to the text with this sense of wonder with this sense of, I, I wonder what God might have for me today. And I was reminded of this podcast that I've been listening to, and some of you have asked me for podcasts. Well, here's a plug. So Malcolm Gladwell, author of like Blink and What the Dog Saw and David and Goliath, he started a new podcast called Revisionist History, in which he actually looks at different topics in history that have seemed or felt settled, and he takes a different look at them today in our context and say, do we really have a handle on, on what that was or what it was doing. And I was reminded of that because I read an interview by him and he said we often make assumptions or we, have co- we come to conclusions about things and then we just move on. And I'm like, that is so true. When I read scripture, I come to a conclusion about scripture. I try to find the right thing that it's saying, the interpretation to end all interpretation so I could just move on. But scripture is living and active and is trying to do so much more than just give us information that we can then download and move on from. And so that's the idea of this series. This is my story of what might God's word be saying to me, to us, how might it inform our stories as we attempt to live lives, to live our life with God. And so we're going to go into the story of Lazarus this morning. And before that, I just want to talk about a few things very briefly about the gospel of John in general. Now, if you'd like to, you can turn to John 1, and I'm going to read verses 4 and 5. So, John 1. So, here's what you need to know about the Gospel of John before we go into John 11, which is the Lazarus story. So, there are two important motifs all through the Gospel of John, and there are more, but here are two primary ones. It's this idea of of death versus life, and also of seeing and believing. So, there are these two things that interplay all through the Gospel of John Death and life, seeing and believing. And it's right here up front, John 1, starting in verse 4. I'll start in verse 1, actually. So it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him, speaking of Jesus, in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So right here at the beginning, John is talking about Jesus, and he's saying, in Jesus was life, and that life was the light of men. This idea that it's by th- in, through this life that we will have this light through which we, people, people in the Gospel of John will actually be able to see, and then to see is to believe. And that's significant as we go into our story in Lazarus because we actually get this climax of life in the person of Jesus that he actually resurrects this man Lazarus. As if to suggest that the life of God, the very life of God, is in this person Jesus, and that that life will do what that life does, which is to bring things that are dead back to life. And when that happens, people will see it, and then they will believe that Jesus is, in fact, the very life and presence of God on earth. So there's a lot going on in this text. So I just kind of wanted to say that up front. And there's this remarkable quote by this gospel um, scholar, Marianne My Thompson from Fuller. She's talking about life, and she says, Life is not some thing that we have apart from God but is understood above all as participation in the life of God, abiding in God, being one with God. So this very idea of life in the Gospel of John is this idea of being with God. To see, to experience the life of Jesus is to be in relationship to the life-giving God. It's, It's incredible stuff. So, story of Lazarus, just a brief overview. There's so much we could say about this text, which is to say there's so much about this text I am not going to say. Um, But I just want to tell the story briefly and then make a few comments of why it really connects to my story. So, I know that there are kindergartners through fourth graders in here, right? If you're in here, raise your hand. You guys have such small hands, I can't even see all of them. Well, welcome. And I'm sure that you've heard this story. You've heard this story of Lazarus, right? Of This guy who's in this tomb, and Jesus calls out, and, and, he, and he lives. And so I'm just going to give a quick overview of the story, because I'm sure you, as a kindergarten through fourth grader, could do it just as well as I could. But just for the sake of, of being on the same page, I'll do it. So Jesus is not around when Lazarus dies. And Lazarus has two sisters, Martha and Mary, And Lazarus is ill, and so they actually send Jesus a message, and they say, Jesus, the one whom you love is ill. Now, brief moment, just to note, in this text, in John 11, three times we're actually told that Jesus loved Lazarus. So we're we're told multiple times that Jesus loved Lazarus. Now, why do I think that's important? It's because it's suggesting that everything that is going to happen is actually motivated by the love of Jesus. So everything that Jesus is going to do for the person of Lazarus is motivated motivated by this love that he has for him. So the one whom you love is ill. But Jesus actually waits around for two extra days. And by the time he gets to Bethany where Lazarus is, he's dead and he's been in the tomb for four days. And it says that, that Jesus was kind of waiting, or, or it suggests that perhaps he was taking his time because he says, well, Lazarus, this illness will not be over, will not lead to death, as if there's something larger going on, which is it's to say that the glory of God is going to be displayed by what's going to happen, by what Jesus is going to do. But anyway, he takes his time. He gets to Bethany, and Martha actually hears that Jesus is coming. She runs out and she says, "Lord, if you were here, Lazarus would not have died." And Jesus says, "No, he will be raised again." And, and, and Martha thinks, "Well, of course he will, because I know what it says in Scripture that there will be a final resurrection someday." And Jesus says, "No, I am the resurrection and the life." He says in 11:25. One of the great I am statements in the Gospel of John. I am the resurrection and the life. If you'd like, look down to John eleven twenty-five, and I'll read it in its entirety. I'll start in 23. Jesus, there's 22. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God, God will give you. Martha says, and Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said, I know that he will, in the resurrection on the last day. And then Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And so Jesus pronounces that I am the resurrection and the life that Lazarus will not be overcome by death. And even though she might not know what he's talking about, we'll see later on that Jesus is in fact telling the truth. But not before Mary hears that Jesus is coming, and she goes out to Jesus. And there are all these people with her weeping and mourning, which was the custom of the day, to have people weeping and mourning with you as you lost someone you loved. And she comes to Jesus, and she says the same thing Martha does. Lord, if you'd have been here, then Lazarus would not have died. And Jesus, seeing seeing Mary weeping, seeing the mourners weeping, it says that he actually becomes moved. There's a a translation in the text of he actually becomes indignant, almost like angry. And I don't think this is angry at Mary or these mourners because they don't get what's going to happen. I actually think it's a certain type of anger that it happens because Jesus sees the effects that death has on the world and the people whom it touches. That Jesus becomes angry by the effects of death and he's moved. And as he sees Mary and as he sees these people mourning, it says that Jesus in 1135 weeps. Jesus wept alongside of them. But then the story continues to go on, and they take Jesus to the tomb, and he says to roll away the stone. And there's almost hesitation on the part of the women to do that. And he says, "No, roll away the stone." And and then he prays to God, to to the Father, and he says, he basically says to do this. He knows that he can do this, and he yells to Lazarus, Lazarus, come out. And then there's this man, Lazarus, who's been wrapped and bound and he comes out of the tomb. And then Jesus looks to people who are around, and they say, unwrap him, unbind him. So this man who was once dead is now alive. And Jesus, this pronouncement of, I am the resurrection and the life, suggests that this isn't some esoteric, abstract idea of life, but the very breath of life, the very life that can bring a person back from the dead. And it's this event, Jesus showing who he really is, that begins to to force people to put a plan in place to end his life. And so why this story? Why this story of, of Jesus raising this man from the dead, many people seeing it, then coming to belief in Jesus? Why is this important to me? Why does it connect to me? I think because of the characters in the story I can actually relate to. As soon as, as we talked about this, this series, this is, this is the passage that came to mind. And here's why. Because sometimes I often feel like Mary and Martha. And perhaps you do too. This idea of, of, of sending messages to Jesus, looking at our world touched by death, touched by destruction, and, and, and we ask that God would, might do something. And yet it seems like he takes such a long time to do something. And it often seems like it's too late until he maybe does decide to do something. And so I feel like Mary and Martha, why aren't you here? Or if you were only here, then there would be no hatred or violence or racism or death, or illness, or cancer, or broken relationships. Where are you? Because if you were here, these things wouldn't happen. And I feel like Mary, and I feel like Martha, so much of the time. But I also feel like Lazarus. No, I've not died and been raised, but I feel like Lazarus because sometimes it feels like I do undergo what could, be, what could feel like some sense of death, like a spiritual death, like I'm entombed in spiritual darkness sometimes. And I wonder if you might feel the same way, where you feel like you are kind of wrapped and you're bound and you're in this season of maybe distance from God or you're in the season of feeling dry. You're in the season where it feels like you don't even know what you could possibly do to get out of it, but it just feels like you're in a tomb and there's no way out. Do you ever feel that way or have you ever felt that way? I sent a text to a few a few friends not too long ago and I texted them and I, and I said, I don't know why, but I feel spiritually impoverished. I feel this distance. I don't feel or get the sense that I'm close to God in the way that I have been and in some ways it does feel like death. It does feel like I'm on the other side of this stone that's in front of this tomb and and I don't even know if Jesus is on the other side. And what do you do when you're in moments like that? What do you do when it feels like you, yourself, are are trapped in a tomb? Which is to beg the question for all of you is, is what tombs might you find yourself in right now in life? I talk with many of you and so I know that in here there are some who that tomb feels like loneliness where you feel like you're you're in a state of death because you just feel so lonely. God doesn't seem to be there, people don't seem to be there, you have no idea what it's like or where you are or how you're gonna get out of it. For some I know that that relationships, whether it be with parents or siblings or spouses, those feel like a tomb it feels like there's no possible way for life to ever be a reality again. Certainly, so many ways, our world itself can feel like a tomb as it begins to implode socially and in society, and as there seems to be so much terrorism and violence and and just sadness all around it can feel like the world itself and we in it are in a dark tomb. And the thing about this story is that Lazarus was utterly helpless. There was nothing he could actually do to get out of the tomb. So maybe you're feeling like spirit, like there's spiritual death in your life, and you can't, like me, point to anything specific, oh, that might be the reason, or there's some sin, or there's some lack. But you just feel like, wow, I feel spiritually poor, and I don't really know what's going on. And there's a temptation for me to think, okay, well, what I need to do is I need to pray more. I need to maybe have a more consistent, quiet time. I need to, I don't know what it is. Uh, But you just come up with all these ideas of trying to resurrect yourself, of trying to come back to life. But the story says that actually isn't possible. Resurrection is what's necessary, and that is only possible by the words of Jesus by the presence of God saying, come out. And so perhaps you find yourself in a place that feels like a tomb, and perhaps it actually continues to weigh you down because you're like, I just need to get out of this. Well, might I suggest that your hope does not lie in what you feel like you can do or strength you can muster up, but rather Waiting, hoping, asking your friends to pray on behalf that you might hear those words, that I might hear those words, Daniel, come out. That you might hear that word for you, that Jesus would call you forth from your tomb so that you might experience resurrection life. And that is what Jesus makes possible. And that's a beautiful thing and something that we can actually put our hope and our trust in. So another, the final reason why this story touches me very personally and, and why I love it so much is because of the person of Jesus. Now, I don't relate to the person of Jesus in the story, but as I see his trajectory in the story, I am so moved because you have this Jesus who at the beginning of the story seems so far away and by the end of the story is right in the very middle of it. You have this Jesus who is motivated by love for the characters in the story to move toward them so that new life might actually be possible. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that I actually get Jesus in the story, and I'm not saying that there aren't things in the story that actually frustrate me or annoy me. Like, I don't understand why Jesus waited. I don't understand how it works that Jesus that, that Jesus uses certain things or um, different types of of circumstances to bring glory to himself. I don't really get that. But I want to trust that out of Jesus' love, out of God's love for the world, that he will be a God who moves toward us. That he will be a God who finds himself in the very middle of the story, speaking words of life, calling people from tombs, and that people are believing. See, I don't relate to Jesus like I relate to Mary and Martha, but I don't think that's the point. I think one of the things that overwhelms me about Jesus is that I see that Jesus relates to us. I see that through Jesus, God relates to us. That Jesus, being moved and angered by death and its effects, begins to weep, and it's in the weeping face of Jesus that we see the weeping face of God. And what does that mean? It means that when God looks upon our world, that the way that we feel, God Himself feels. The way that we feel about the world, that God sees how we feel and is moved by that also. I see a God who continues out of His love to not stay at a distance, but to come to the world in the person of Jesus to actually make resurrection life possible. I see a God who can, with his words and his presence, give life to that which is dead so that new stories can actually be told. That's what I see in Jesus, and that's why the story brings so much hope to me, because I need, I want a God like that who knows me, who relates to me, who sees us and relates to us, and who's out of his deep, deep love moves toward us, so much so that he finds himself in the very darkness, in the very sadness, in the very death of the world as he takes upon the cross. I mean, that's a God who knows what it's like to be in this world, who knows what it's like to feel spiritually impoverished, That's a God who who looks upon us and our stories and says, yes, I understand. And that's the God that we see in Jesus that we are called to believe in, that we are called to trust, that as we experience the life of Jesus, then we, our eyes might be opened, that we might see the light, that we might no longer be in darkness, and as a result, that we might experience life like we've never experienced it before. That's what I want. And that's what I hope we want, not just for us as a church, but for our world, for our neighborhoods, for our places. And that's my prayer as a community, that we would be communities who actually listen to the words of Jesus come out, so that we might come out of our tombs, and whatever we might find, wherever we might find ourselves, and that we, together we might unwrap and unbind one another, so that we might experience and live into resurrection life. Let's pray. God, thank you for your life. Thank you for your love. Thank you that you move toward us in love, that you are motivated by that. And thank you that you do not let us live or stay or remain in our tombs, in our places of where it feels like there's darkness. But you speak words. You call us forth so that we might rise up, move toward you, so that together we might be unwrapped and unbound, so that we might live lives That are new. God, all the different places, all the different stories that we have in which we need to experience that new life, I ask that we would experience it. Thank you for being a God who does receive and accept our questions or our frustrations. Thank you for being a God who lets us be human beings and lets us feel the different ramifications of all the different things that we actually experience as human beings. But thank you most of all that you know what it's like, that you yourself have experienced it. Thank you for relating to us. And thank you for your life-giving presence. Call us forth, Jesus, so that we might be people who are made new. In Jesus' name, amen.